Welcome to Strangeland, everybody. It is I, Dr. Dark. Just wanted to let everybody know that I do have the Patreon page set up finally. The link is going to be available in all episode show notes, as well as the general podcast page, no matter what service you're listening on. So if you'd like to support the show in that way, just click on the link, sign up, and become a member. Members will get exclusive member-only episodes, and they are going to be more paranormal in nature with tie-ins to conspiracy theories. So again, I want to thank everybody for supporting the show. And with that, let's get this thing going. Welcome to Strangeland, everybody. It is I, Dr. Dark, and this week we are going to be discussing the conspiracy behind MKUltra. You may have heard me bring up MKUltra in a previous episode when I discussed the Montauk Project. And MKUltra itself, some may you know, claim that, well, this isn't really a conspiracy theory, but I'm going to show you that it is, in essence. Um, so let's get into this. All right. So back in the early 1950s, specifically April of 1953. Now, this was around the time that the Korean War was ending. And the New York Times, they ran a story alleging that American POWs that were returning back to the United States from the Korean War were brainwashed. Now, during the war, there were approximately 7,000 soldiers that were captured. And upon their return back to the good old U.S., some of these GIs began confessing to war crimes. You know, for example, they, the big one was germ warfare and chemical warfare. And of course, the United States, you know, subsequently denied all of this because of course they did. I mean, you wouldn't want the, especially back in that day, you wouldn't want the American public knowing that you were resorting to these types of, you know, techniques, these types of, you know, war crimes, basically. So it was a big deal. And, you know, the New York Times itself was a big deal. It still is. It's a massive publication. Now, to top it off, there were 21 soldiers, U.S. soldiers, that never returned to the U.S. Now, during discussions with some of the POWs who did return, they noted that those GIs, those 21, were so far gone that they were so brainwashed that they flat out refused to return to the U.S. Now think about it. The United States government couldn't have been thrilled with that because, again, we are over in communist Korea, well, North Korea. And at that time, the Soviets and China, both communist countries, were in essence aiding North Korea. So the U.S. was you know, extremely fearful of what the hell was going on. 
and the American public was naturally fearful of what the hell was going on. Surmising that because Russia and China were aiding North Korea, that clearly they were behind the brainwashing experiments and techniques that were going on. Now, oddly enough, during this time, the outrage over POW camps turned to American infighting because, again, of course it did. We're seeing that right now. I mean, we've been infighting for what? The past, oh, seven to 10 years, maybe longer. Now, the, the, the infighting was, again, one side calling the other side soft, vulnerable, gullible, you know, pushing this narrative and this theory that, oh, you guys will believe anything that the government tells you, yada, 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 yada. Again, much like we're seeing right now. Now, around this time, the CIA announced that Alan Dulles would be the new director. And the CIA was still pretty much in its and the CIA was still pretty much in its infancy at this point. And Dulles, you know, he was already established within the State Department. And he ended up becoming the top dog by an appointment from then President Dwight Eisenhower. So with Dulles, and with the news of all this brainwashing coming forward, Dulles would go out and publicly lament that the Soviets were using, quote, brain warfare. But he was truly in private, unsure of what exactly it was. You know, what were they doing? Was it hypnosis, chemical agents, something else? And he publicly admitted that, quote, we in the West are somewhat handicapped in brain warfare, end quote. Going on, you know, to state that, that those types of techniques were completely antithetical to American values. You know, this is something that, being that I'm not much of a Donald Trump fan at all, there is something that he brought up in an interview, and I do not recall who it was that was interviewing him. They were talking about, I believe it was Russia and things that Russia does that are considered bad. And Trump made the statement, this is not verbatim, he made the statement of, well, you know, we've done some nasty things in the past too. <laughs> He's right. He's dead on accurate. And it's strange reflecting back on his presidency because whether you love him or hate him, he did not really have much of a filter. And so he, again, he brought up something and admitted to something that the United States has tried to hide from the public for, you know, decades and decades. And, you know, we're not that stupid. So anyways, again, Dulles brings up that, you know, we in the West are somewhat handicapped in brain warfare. And what was odd about this is that just three days after publicly decrying the Soviets' tactics, Dulles authorized the initiation of the MKUltra program, which was a covert program experimenting with the use of biological and chemical materials in order to, in essence, catch up with our enemies. And Dulles appointed an existing CIA chemist 
by the name of Sidney Gottlieb as the head of the program. Now, Gottlieb wasn't the only chemist or scientist. There were quite a few, but Gottlieb was the, the leader of the pack. Now, a journalist by the name of Stephen Kinsner, he spent many years investigating this program, calling it, quote, the most sustained search in history for techniques and mind control, end quote. Now, Gottlieb, this whole program, you may be sitting here wondering, okay, well, you know, where were these experiments being done? Who were they experimenting on? So he covertly performed these experiments at numerous universities around the country, research centers, as well as American prisons, boys' schools, in detention facilities in Japan, Germany, and the Philippines. Damn. I mean, it's crazy the, the scope of this program. Now, another quote from Stephen Kinsner to give you some more perspective on how Gottlieb originally planned to set out to achieve all of this. He said, Gottlieb wanted to create a way to seize control of people's minds, and he realized it was a two-part process. First, you had to blast away the existing mind. Second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void. We didn't get too far on number two, but he did a lot of work on number one. So this was a journalist who spent quite a bit of time researching everything that had gone on in this program. Now let's reread that quote again. First, you had to blast away the existing mind. And second, you had to find a way to insert a new mind into that resulting void. Holy shit. The lengths at which these people would go to. Now remember, the American public was fully aware of what was being alleged by our government with regards to the brainwashing of our soldiers. They weren't aware of the MKUltra program, but go back to the New York Times article. The American public knew, knew what was going on, the allegations about the brainwashing. And it didn't help matters that even after that original New York Times article, that other newspapers around the country would write articles which would further sow these seeds of fear with headlines such as brainwashing versus Western psychiatry, making it seem as though we would never, never do anything this nefarious. Couple that with books and movies such as The Manchurian Candidate that were coming out during this time frame and people were on edge. Now, the program entailed behavior modifications, which were geared around, you know, hypnosis, electroshock therapy, polygraphs, radiation exposure, and the big one, drugs, as well as other chemicals and toxins. And which drug, do you ask? That would be LSD. Reportedly, by some who have spoken out under secrecy, the CIA was petrified of the Soviet's LSD program, which they believed was being utilized to control agents, spies, soldiers, and they felt that they could achieve the same results. 
Now, as mentioned, these experiments were done all over the place, and some people were willing participants, though they were not really aware as to what the program was, only that they were willing to be experimented on. Go figure. Now, some were coerced into it, and many, many were utterly clueless and unaware that they were being experimented on. So in November of 53, so just a handful of months after the announcement of Alan Dulles becoming the director of the CIA, and Dulles pushing forward with the MKUltra program, there were 10 scientists who met in secrecy at a cabin in the forests of Maryland to further discuss the program. And what they came away with was that in order to, quote, truly understand the capabilities of LSD in this type of setting, an unwitting experiment would be desirable, end quote. So they knew what the hell they were doing. They begin with experimenting on willing participants, coercing people into doing it, but then clearly came away acknowledging that to truly understand the capabilities of LSD in this type of a setting, an unwitting experiment would be desirable. So they pushed forward. They pushed forward doing more experiments on people who had no idea what the hell was going on. Now, mind you, the CIA was very, very self-aware of the repercussions should anyone know what they were doing. So they had to proceed way more discreetly. Now, I'm going to give you a list of bullet points, basically, that came directly from an, that came directly from an NK Ultra document from 1955 that gives you an indication of the size and range of this program. And it refers to the study of an assortment of mind-altering substances you know, described as follows. So, substances which will promote illogical thinking and impulsiveness to the point where the recipient would be discredited in public. Substances which increase the efficiency of mentation and perception. Materials which will prevent or counteract the intoxicating effect of alcohol. Materials which will promote the intoxicating effect of alcohol. Materials which will produce the signs and symptoms of recognized diseases in a reversible way so they may be used for malingering, etc. Materials which will render the induction of hypnosis easier or otherwise enhance its usefulness. Substances which will enhance the ability of individuals to withstand privation, torture, and coercion during interrogation and so-called brainwashing. Materials and physical methods which will produce amnesia for events preceding and during their use. Physical methods of producing shock and confusion over extended periods of time and capable of surreptitious use. Substances which would produce physical disablement such as paralysis of the legs, acute anemia, etc. Substances which will produce pure euphoria with no subsequent letdown. Substances which alter personality structure in such a way 
the tendency of the recipient to become dependent upon another person is enhanced. A material which will cause mental confusion of such a type that the individual under its influence will find it difficult to maintain a fabrication under questioning. Substances which will lower the ambition and general working efficiency of men when administered in undetectable amounts. Substances which promote weakness or distortion of the eyesight or hearing faculties, preferably without permanent effects. A knockout pill, which can be surreptitiously administered in drinks, food, cigarettes, as an aerosol, which will be safe to use, provide a maximum of amnesia, and be suitable for use by agent types on an ad hoc basis. A material which can be surreptitiously administered by the above routes and which in very small amounts will make it impossible for a person to perform physical activity. Now this shows you, those were 17 bullet points on this document, straight from the program, to show you how far they took things. Now, I previously brought up that they were using these experiments on people across the board in multiple different settings. So there was a school for mentally disabled boys in Massachusetts called the Fernald State School. And according to some reports, it's hard to kind of gauge the actual percentage, but it is mentioned that the majority of these boys were often orphaned. Now, What were they doing, you ask? Well, to show you the level of corruption, the MKUltra program partnered with Quaker Oats and MIT, the Massachusetts Institute for Technology. They partnered with them. Not publicly, of course. But they partnered with them to assist what they were doing there. And what they were doing there is the boys were being fed oatmeal that was laced with radioactive iron isotopes that were being used as tracers in the body, as well as radioactive calcium isotopes. And they were doing this to experiment on what the radiation did to the boys and at what levels the radiation would affect the body. Now, did the boys have any idea what was going on? Hell no. Nope. They had no idea. Now, after the fact, there were some people that came out and said, well, you know, it wasn't that much radiation that they were being exposed to. It was only the equivalent of getting 30 chest x-rays in a row. Only? I don't give a shit if, comparatively speaking, if 30 chest x-rays in a row is a negligible amount compared to something else. That's a lot of radiation. And on top of these boys being mentally disabled and orphaned, there's nobody watching out for them. There's nobody that had their back. Clearly, there had to have been some money involved with the people who were running the state school, which would be the Massachusetts government, by the way. But there was nobody watching out for him. And in total, it was found that 74 boys were experimented on. And later on in the late 1990s, some of the boys who have since grown up 
are, I don't know if they're still alive, but at that time they were. Some of those boys grew up and filed lawsuits against Quaker and MIT and were awarded $1.8 million, which is woefully low, in my opinion. And they also received a public apology by then-President Clinton. Yay! Nothing like public apologies to make everything all better. Now, another example of the program, everyone here, everyone listening, I hope, is familiar with the infamous criminal-slash-murderer Whitey Bulger. Now, when he was imprisoned in Atlanta in the mid to late 50s, he was experimented on as part of the MK Ultra program along with seven other inmates, unknowingly, and given elevated doses of LSD and other hallucinogens via injections, upwards of 50 times. Now, there was a quote that I can't find any longer. I've been dig. I saw it and then I've been digging. For some reason, I can't find this. But the quote from Bolger was something to the effect of, you can imagine how bad it got when he and the other seven people, they would keep them in the same room together, inject all eight of them with LSD or other hallucinogens, and let them go. You can imagine what that was like. Now, Bolger wasn't a nice guy. Everybody knows that. But he did speak with a reporter, a journalist, you know, after that imprisonment. And it is alleged that Bolger, despite all of the other criminal activities that he was engaged in, found guilty of, he had never committed any murders until after he was released from that prison. But that's alleged. Now, as we had mentioned, the program began to acknowledge or become self-aware that they had to be way more incognito. It was fairly simple what they started doing. Horribly unethical, illegal, whatever. But their simplistic method was they started slipping LSD into the drinks of their own agents. Most infamously with one of their scientists working on the program a guy by the name of Frank Olson. Now, Frank was involved in the program, and he was on a work retreat in Maryland with other agents, and he was unwittingly dosed, along with many other people at this retreat. I don't know if it was all of them, but many others. And he ended up having a terrible reaction, according to people who were there a much worse reaction than others did, or what you would call a bad trip. And he evidently called his wife to tell her, quote, I've made a terrible mistake, but was unclear as to what exactly that was. His wife didn't know what he was referring to, basically. Now, approximately one week after this, Frank allegedly was having residual issues from this dosing. And he went to Manhattan to seek medical help due to the residual effects. And while there, Frank fell out of the window of his hotel room. Specifically, he crashed through the closed window of his hotel room. 
Now, I don't know whether it was one of these hotel rooms that you can't open the windows or what, but he fell to his death at around 2 a.m. in the morning. Now, the initial autopsy was that he had committed suicide, but as time went on, his sons, he had two sons, they demanded that a second autopsy be done as Frank's body had no cuts on it that they would have suspected would have happened, that he would have suffered these cuts from crashing through a closed window. It's a fairly rational thing to, you know, wonder. Well, if he crashed through this window to his death, wouldn't he have some cuts from the glass? There was nothing. Additionally, here's what's where the shit gets even more bizarre. When the cops showed up to investigate this, they found out that Frank was not alone that night. And when they went up to his hotel room, they found that he was with another agent. And the police found this other agent sitting on the toilet with his head buried in his hands. Now, this last example. I'm going to give you about the lengths that the CIA went with this program was something that they called Operation Midnight Climax. So as time goes on, the agency had to become far more sophisticated with their experiments. And in 1955, they hired a former FBI agent named George White to oversee the interior decorating of their office in San Francisco. So you hired a former FBI agent who specialized in narcotics to oversee the interior decorating. Huh? Now, it wasn't the interior decorating of the entire building. It was specifically one room. And reports that... (laughs) (laughs) It's <laughs> freaking bizarre. Reports are that the decorating geared towards sex and glamour. And George ended up hiring a Berkeley engineering student to install monitoring equipment in this room, as well as a two-way mirror. And so what they would do, where they took this, is that members of the program and you know George, I don't know if it was specifically just George or other individuals. They would hire prostitutes to bring unsuspecting men to their office sex room where the pro would spike the man's drink, all the while George would sit in the other room and observe from the two-way mirror. Now, in return, George helped to protect the prostitutes because they, you know, They're going to want something out of this assurance that they're not going to get in trouble. So what he would do is he would protect them from local law enforcement. And as time went on, as they did this more and more often, he and other agents began to hypothesize how they could utilize the prostitutes themselves to gain information. So not only did they just want them to be the ones bringing them to this room, they started wondering, okay, well, how far can we take this where we can actually involve them 
in this further. Now, George, he gradually went from this being a job to it being his hobby to sit and watch these sex acts go on and the drugging, all while, you know, kicking back and having some drinks. The audacity of George White and other agents to just so that they could see, just so that they could experiment on brainwashing techniques. What the shit? So now we're going to do a time jump here. So fast forward to 1963 and a member of the CIA's inspector general staff, his name's John Vance, he got wind of the MK Ultra program and put a stop to it. So again, we're going to bounce forward even some more. In 1977, Senator Ed Kennedy oversaw congressional hearings surrounding the program, but the committee members, they had a hard time really getting anywhere with this because by the time 1963 had rolled around, when John Vance stepped in and shut it down, there was a new director named Richard Helms. And that director, he had instructed the agents and all other staff to destroy all paper records. Additionally, those staff members who helped to destroy all the paper records, they were subpoenaed, and conveniently, they couldn't remember anything about the program. Now, were they purposefully being hush-hush on it? Or were they themselves drugged and truly didn't have any recollection? Uh, Who knows? So, you may still be sitting here asking, okay, well, this isn't really a conspiracy theory if there was validation that this program existed, which there was. But, back up. And if you recall the episode I did about the Montauk Project, it ties into this as the government just allegedly evolved their mind control techniques and practices instead of letting Don Draper and the rest of the Mad Men cast run amok all flippantly and shit. So it's hypothesized, theorized, that they didn't really stop doing this. They did. You know, they stopped MKUltra. But they just evolved it. They took it elsewhere. Also, there's theories that still remain out there that Lee Harvey Oswald was a participant in MKUltra, as well as Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. And he was actually verified as having been a participant. And lastly, a guy by the name of Saran Saran. He's the man who killed Bobby Kennedy. He went on the record after being arrested stating he had no recollection of shooting Kennedy. Now there was a psychology and hypnosis expert who spent 36 hours in total with Saran Saran in prison. And he came away theorizing that Saran was programmed to have committed the murder. And Saran's lawyers even went so far to flat out accuse the CIA of making him an unwitting participant in a mind control program. They did that as recently as 2010. 
Now, obviously, these are just theories. But especially with Oswald and the assassination of JFK in 63, conveniently, when the program was shut down. And JFK, he had fired Alan Dulles two years prior in 1961. Now, it was said he fired him due to the Bay of Pigs fiasco. But some theorized that the program actually continued under the radar, and this was a way of the CIA allegedly getting back at Kennedy. So you bring in a new director, Richard Helms. John Vance finds out, as well as Richard Helms, about the program in 1963. They shut it down. And JFK is killed in 63. Coincidence? I don't know. And today, think about Kanye. Think about the episode that I did with Kanye and Harley Pasternak. How he has spoken out about being manipulated and mind-controlled in further attempts at doing that. Hell, recently, Kanye said that if he ever, going forward, if he ever disappears for a period of time and then comes back, that it's not him. Guess what happened? Kanye, he disappeared. And now he has come back. He's married to a Kardashian clone. But who knows? Again, this show is not to say that these things really did happen. It's to present these cases and to say, is it feasible? Is it possible? And when you have instances like this MK Ultra program that came out, that all of these details and facts came out about, it's hard to sit here and completely denounce all of these theories. Because who the hell knows? So again, what do you think? Would love to hear from you. And please, if you can, leave me a review. Five stars on Apple helps out immensely. Email me. Hit me up on social media. Would love to hear from you. So, until next time, stay strange.